Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the word. Tis the season to be looking. Looking for snow if it's cold. Instructions if some assembly is required. Looking for the red nose lights if you're young. Headlights if you're a grandma. Insights if you're a preacher. Tis the season to be looking. The first Christmas was marked by lookers as well. Joseph looked for lodging. Mary looked into the prunish face of God manifested in the flesh, Jesus Christ. A thousand angels looked upon the king. The wise men looked at the star. But no one was looking with more intensity than a seasoned saint named Simeon. According to Luke chapter 2, it would read and record, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah. He was moved by the Spirit that day, and he went into the temple courts And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Unlike Joseph and Mary, Simeon did not witness Jesus' birth. Unlike the shepherds, he did not visit the child in Bethlehem. By the time he saw Jesus, the feeding stall was now occupied only by animals. The manger held only hay. Mary and Joseph had caught up on their sleep, but the shepherds were back with their sheep. Forty days now passed. We can know this time as certainty when I began to study and prepare for this message. According to Jewish law, according to the Torah, the mother became ceremonial, unclean upon the birth of her child. But on the eighth day, a male baby was circumcised. After an additional 33 days, the parents offered a sacrifice. It would be what we would call a baby dedication of sorts. It was at this dedication that Simeon saw Jesus. Simeon was likely an older man. The years had etched his skin and slowed his step and bent his back just slightly. He was waiting for the day when God would take away 
Israel's sorrow. A day in which God would end the alienation of the people and reconcile them to himself. Simeon knew this day would come in his day. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he seen him God's anointed king. How did the Spirit tell Simeon? Was it in a dream, a vision, a scripture? We really don't know how Simeon knew that God would not let him be promoted to the sweet sunny banks of sweet deliverance. I don't know, but we do know that Simeon lived with an eye toward the future. I said, Simeon lived with an eye toward the future. Simeon no doubt lived with a perhaps today attitude. He knew he would see the Messiah on earth before he would take his last breath. And on the 40th day after Jesus' birth, the day arrived. And I quote verse 27, the Spirit led Simeon to the temple. Perhaps Simeon had other plans that day. Maybe he was going to stay at home. Maybe he's play with the grandkids. Perhaps the garden needed attention. Maybe the dog needed watering. But there came a nudging. There came a knowing. There came a prompting. He decided, I think I'll go to the temple today. I think I'll just show up and see what might happen. Simeon wound his way through the narrow streets and over every cobblestone path he could find. And finally, he entered the temple courts. Though Simeon had ascended the temple steps a hundred times, the sight of Herod's masterpiece must have moved him. The massive stones, the gilded roof, the great colonnades, even when it wasn't a holiday, the streets were full of worshipers and pilgrims. Somehow, in spite of the multitude, Simeon spotted Joseph and Mary. No one else had the reason to notice these young parents. Angels did not cast petals. There was no blasting of trumpets at their arrival. Jesus did not ride on a pillow or in a chariot. He had no halo, nor glow, or aura. He was still a small infant. He not only was small, I'm sure he probably slept slept when when, when his mother and father walked into the temple. But oh, there was something going on. People journeyed to the temple for one reason, that was to encounter God. No one imagined looking for him in the arms of a simple girl from Nazareth. No one when they arrived that day except Simeon. Perhaps today was his attitude. He whispered to himself as he saw him. He walked briskly across the temple courtyard. He excused his way through the pilgrims and caught up with Joseph. And I just wonder if he said, pardon me, Joe. You mind if I take a look in his eyes? You mind if I look deep within that blanket you've got him all cuddled up in? The Nazarene couple stopped and turned. Mary's belly was no longer round, but her face was. She had the simple softness of a peasant girl. Joseph wore the scratchy robe of a worker. A year earlier, he might have objected 
to the interruption this day, but the last few months had been marked by surprises. Angels had spoken in worship. Shepherds had come and gone. His wife knew childbirth before she knew his bed. Joseph was learning to expect the unexpected. So she and her husband tilted their heads and waited for Simeon to speak. And Simeon did. He gestured to the child. The same spirit that had nudged the older man prompted the younger one. And Joseph nodded equally when Mary gave Jesus to Simeon. And he took the baby in his arms. He began to thank God. And let me tell you what he said. Now, Lord, you can let me, your servant, die in peace. As you said... With my own eyes, I have seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. Simeon's response, when I begin to look at the details of that word now, it comes from a, from a Latin word, nu dimittis, or now dismiss. Now is a timeline term. It indicates the arrival of a moment. Now we can go. Now we can eat. Now we can start. That's what the arrival of Jesus was. Simeon saw the arrival of Jesus as a now moment. It was a new era. There was hope birth. There was hope being born. They just needed someone to recognize the moment that was now at hand. Now everything was different. The consolation of Israel had happened. The gate of history had swung on the hinge of a Bethlehem gate. The author of life had turned the page and was ready to write a new chapter. Simeon did not know the name of the chapter, but we do. Scripture denotes this period as the last days. Paul said in the last days there will be many troubles. Peter urged us to understand what will happen in the last days. The author of Hebrews wrote, but now in these last days God has spoken to us through His Son. We live between advents. The first advent was His first coming. The second advent will include the sudden, personal, visible, bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He promised, I will come again. Aren't you thankful today that we're living on a promise today? We're living with an anticipation. The author of Hebrews declared Christ will appear for a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for Him. As He came, Christ will come again. But He won't come as He came. He came quietly in a stable in Bethlehem. But the next time He comes, He will return in glory with a shout. John wrote, all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. 
In Bethlehem, the just-born Jesus slept. But when he returns, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. At his first coming, few noticed. At his second coming, all the nations of the world will be gathered before him. I don't know about you, but tis the season to be looking. I don't know when he's coming. I don't know the hour. I don't know the day. But I walked into the sanctuary on this Sunday morning to tell someone it could be today. It could be today. In Bethlehem, Joseph placed Jesus in a manger. At his return, Jesus will be seated on a throne. For the word of God tells us the Son of Man will come again in his great glory with all his angels. He will be king and sit on his great throne. I don't know about you, but I love my king today. We're celebrating our king today. Second Peter 3.13, what will happen next and what we hope for is what God promised. A new heaven and a new earth where justice reigns. That ought to get you excited. In the middle of this hustle and bustle, there is a promise that we have to look forward to. I've come to let somebody know in the Holy Ghost, history is not an endless succession of meaningless circles, but a directed movement toward one great final event. I said it's going to be one great final event. As the Apostle John said in 1 John 2.18, My dear children, these are the last days. We enjoy the fruit of the first coming. But we anticipate the glory of the second coming. I refuse, hear me church, I refuse to believe that this present world is the sum total of human existence. No, 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 no. You've come too late to tell me there's not a heaven, there's not a Lord, there's not a Savior who's coming back for us. We're celebrating the first advent today. We had the best singing. We've had the greatest worship. But here, your pastor today, I refuse to just celebrate the first advent. It ought to whet our appetites for the second advent, the second coming of the Lord. We long for the next coming. God has a timeline. And because of Bethlehem, we have an idea where we stand on it. I read a metaphor this week that I thought would correlate with this, this thought. It was about a, about a father and a son in the West Texas oil fields. A father thought Christmas break was an opportunity for his son to make some good cash. Anyone could dig a ditch and endure the cold wind would make money. So as a teenager, this young lad would spend many a December day in the vast flatlands of the Permian Basin. The routine was simple. A foreman would drive a truck full of workers to the edge of civilization and show them the ditch that had been dug with a large machine. The furrow was about six feet deep, 
But before pipe could be placed inside, the excess rocks and dirt needed to be removed. He would say, get to work. I'll come back for you. Then he would drive off. Nothing blocks the cold prairie wind in December where they were working. It chills the bone. We were miles, as the story would go, miles away from human beings. A person could see forever out there. If only there was something to see, we had nothing to do but dig, and so we did all day long. By mid-afternoon, they began thinking, maybe he's on his way. Maybe the foreman, maybe he didn't get distracted. Maybe he's going to come get us early. By 4 o'clock, their backs would be tired. They would lift up their heads from the ditch and sweep the horizon. Does anybody see him? Does anybody see? Is he coming? By 5 o'clock, they were digging, then looking, digging, then looking. And by sunset, when the already cold air would turn icy, they would begin to encourage one another with words like, he'll be here soon. He'll be here soon. We think about the dinner that awaited the warm house, the hot bath, and just when we thought we couldn't wait any longer, a set of familiar headlights would come bouncing over the horizon. No one had to tell us to climb out of the ditch and gather our tools. We were ready when he came to take us home. I feel like this short little metaphor of a story someone in here can relate to. You've been digging for a long time. You're tired from the toil. The ditch has been deep and the work has seemed endless. You carry the burden of a broken heart. You've walked a lonely, lonely, long road. The wind has been bitter cold and the world seems as barren as a prairie. You have searched the horizon for the coming of the king and you're wondering, is he really coming? Come to tell you with such, with such anticipation, uh, your wait is nearly over. Weary pilgrim, your wait is almost over. Uh, if all of history but were but for a year, the leaves would now be autumn gold. Uh, if all of history were merely a day, the sun would begin to set. Uh, if all of history were just an hour, the minute hands of the clock would be nearing full circle. Some people say they know the day and the hour of his return. But I don't know the day nor the hour. But I do know the Bible urges us to look for specific signs that point to his return. And I've just got a few to share with you. The preaching of the gospel to all nations. Days of distress in which saints will suffer and creation will tremble. The coming of the Antichrist, an enemy of God who will deceive many. Salvation of the Jews. Signs in the heaven. False prophets. That's just to name a few. To, to be certain, to a degree, each of these signs has seen some fulfillment. The gospel has gone around the world. Many Christians have experienced severe oppression. The world has suffered at the hands of global, global persecution. Many Jews have been saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Our earth is shaken from birth pains. And, and the church has been weakened by false prophets. And certainly today these signs will see further fulfillment. But this is much this much is sure, the end has got to be 
near. But let me flip that coin and tell you maybe a little better way of saying it. The beginning is near. What we call an end ending is just the beginning of a new thing. What we call the end is just the beginning. The days are hastening on by prophets of what they've seen of old. When, the, when I look at this and I begin to see when the ever-circling years become to be foretold and coming to pass, when peace shall cover the earth, the whole world gives back the song which the angels now sing. I'm hearing that sound a little different today as I stand and preach today. Tis the season to be looking. We're not looking for a jolly man in a red suit, but a grand king on a white horse. That's who I'm looking for today. At his command, I feel, my, I feel the help of the Lord in this room. Hear the king that's coming and what he will do. At his command, the sea will give up their dead. The devil will give up his quest. Kings and, ki- kings and queens will give up their crowns. Broken hearts will give up their despair. And God's children will lift up their worship and cry, Holy, holy, holy. Wise is the saint in 2021 who searches like Simeon. I said, wise is the saint who searches like Simeon. This could be the day. This could be the day. This could be the moment. Tis the season to be looking. If you knew Jesus was returning tomorrow, how would you feel today? It's a very sobering question as you sit in a a service like we have experienced. I'm sure some of you are anxious. Some may be afraid. And there may be a few unprepared. If so, you can take care of your fears by placing your trust in the Savior that was born. How do I do that, Pastor? I can tell you how to do that with a surety. It's by allowing His Spirit to lead you to an altar today where you kneel and you bow and you ask God to forgive you of your sins. You repent of your sin and you say, God, I'm sorry. He will forgive you of your sin. You are in the right place now where God can bring peace in some of the most troublesome times. He can bring peace into your world That nothing can compare. Musicians come. If your answer today, if asked, if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, how would you feel today? If your answer includes words like, Ooh, I'd be happy if he came today. I would be relieved and excited if he came today. If that's you today, I want to admonish you as your pastor. Hold tightly to your joy. Hold tightly to that assurance. Hold tightly to that conviction that I'm ready today if he comes. There's no reservation. There's excitement. There's no apprehension. It's actually a relief if he were to come today. 
if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow? What would you do today? If you knew what to do, I would ask, why not do it? If you knew there was forgiveness that needed to be given, why not do it? If there was a sin that needed to be confessed, why not confess it? There's nothing worth dying lost. There's nothing worth dying lost over. I do feel in this service today that if I could hear the cry as I heard it last night, it would be something like this. I'm not where I need to be today if Jesus came back. There are some things I need to get right. I need to make room for Him in my life. I've put others before Him. I've put this before Him. I've tried to work Him in, but no, I can't do that any longer. I've got to make room for Jesus. I know I said it earlier. You wonder what wakes your pastor up at night. You want to know what drives him to a prayer chamber. When I think about a project that's going to expand our seating capacity to 430 chairs in this building. You know what that does to me? It lets me know we're creating an opportunity for a minimum of 430 people to come in this sanctuary, have a seat, and hear and obey what I'm trying my best to convey to us. I don't know what comes after 430. I don't know what building God has in our future, but I do know one thing. God's entrusted us with this building. And he says, will you maximize the opportunity for someone to make sure they're ready to meet Jesus tomorrow? Stand to your feet right now. Perhaps today. Simeon, I don't know other than the Spirit of the Lord that came upon you that day led you to that temple. But what got my attention in this whole message was I don't know how many days he went and saw nothing. No Savior, no King, no Redeemer. He just went with an attitude, worn back, humped over, stricken in age, but he went every day. As often as he went, this could be the day. This could be the moment. This could be the hour. I don't know when he's going to show up, but i got a promise. I'm going to see his face. I can't die till I see him. I can't die till I see the Savior. I just wonder if there's anyone in this room today that you would step out of your seat and you would say, Pastor, I don't know when I'm going to see my children saved, but I'm, I come to church today thinking they may walk through the back door.
I don't know when my grandchildren, I don't know when my husband, I don't know when my wife, I don't know. But I just came to church today with an expectation. This could be the day. I don't know when my miracle's going to happen. But tis the season to be looking today. Brother Dodd, little did you know a couple months ago now that when you went home, it would be the day for your miracle. And today he stands on that wall with no oxygen, with hands lifted. But you know what I can say about Brother Dodd? He was looking for his miracle. He was saying things, pray, Pastor. I believe in miracles. How many in this room today, you need something from the Lord? You came to the sanctuary. You came today. Tis the season to be looking. Would you give him, would you give him what you brought today to the, to the house of the Lord? Mary and Joseph brought a baby and put him in the hands of Simeon. What have you brought today to give to the Lord? Have you brought your heart? Have you brought your heart to the Lord today and say, Lord, I'm making room for you. I'm making room today. I can't do this anymore. I can't, I, I can't live my life the way I've been living. Tis the season to be looking. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You're going to begin to sing. And as they begin to sing, let the words begin to flow into your heart. Let the tears begin to flow.